0: I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Scumboy. I'm Andrew Walsh, a.k.a. Bat Phantom. I'm Kevin, a.k.a. Neon Nazgul from the Operation Pug Podcast. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Swazek. This is episode eleven of 2017. Well, this has been a rather interesting week um, <laughs> with the latest malware that's uh, hit hit the world, mostly the Ukraine. Uh, Petnya uh, or Petya, sorry, and not Petya Nyetya. And, of course, a month ago, um, WannaCry. want to cry. So it, this is uh, July 2nd for anyone who's who's keeping track. Um, but just this past week, on Thursday, there was a massive uh, outbreak of another type of, of ransomware. And so I decided that this would be a good time for us to kind of take a step back from just uh, cloud-based security and things uh, in the cloud. And let's, let's talk about Uh, malware in general and what can we do to help prevent its spread because this is this is universal this is if anyone is in security this is a concern that we have it doesn't matter if you are in charge of uh, local corporate IT security or if you're in charge of a data center or if you have all your resources up in the cloud the point is there is uh, something that all of us can do And obviously the better that we can do our jobs at protecting our systems The less successful these types of malware will be which makes them less profitable, which should hopefully make them less prevalent So that's what we're going to talk about today so What exactly happened? Um, This is still kind of up in the air uh, when it comes to the Petya uh, Nyetya there's actually two variants uh two variants three names uh so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh probably petya and not petya the Nyetia, nyetya my russian is not that great um is a variant that is the not petya version uh cisco's talos labs uh decided to to name it that uh Uh, of course being um, like no in Russian Um, just to play on words love security we're great at just coming up with uh, new names for pretty much anything just to get a little extra attention. These ones in particular were really really bad though Um, the jury is still out but the current consensus seems to be uh, from a security professional perspective is that the uh, the NotPetya one uh, specifically was never meant to be ransomware. It was posing as ransomware, and it was meant to be destructive, uh, because it didn't just uh, encrypt files. It actually deleted files. It actually destroyed systems. Um, it still popped up a ransomware notice, but was uh, was particularly nasty in that there was nothing to recover. It actually just destroyed everything. So we're not going to theorize on state actors or who started this or whatever else, but uh, about more than 60% of the infections uh, hit the Ukraine and they were hit pretty hard. They were the first ones and it wasn't a normal attack vector. This wasn't an attachment. This was uh, purposely focused on some accounting software and update uh, stream for for or an update system for some accounting software that was required for the country. Um, can't remember the exact details of it, but it wasn't your typical. Oh, it's a file attachment and somebody just opened and it spread that way. Um, it was actually targeted uh, for that initial uh, infection uh, point. Then when it made it into People's systems it started to spread like wildfire it was looking for the same exploit as WannaCry for the uh, SMB shares uh, in case anyone didn't have anything patched and it also used I think it was another two attack vectors that just helped it spread very much like a worm now this is different than the WannaCry um, Outbreak that happened in May of 2017, WannaCry actually was was looking for systems connected to the internet that uh, did not have a patch for their SMB shares. Why you would have SMB shares uh, that were insecured connected to the internet in general, I don't know. I mean, you, this is this is something that we're going to be talking about, of course. But this is how these things started to spread, so the petya and not petya uh variants they basically started with an update, but once they made it into the systems, then they started to spread like like mad right so this was an interesting time uh in terms of of these these types of, uh, these types of attacks. So how can we protect against these things? Um, um, there's a couple of different ways we can, we can take steps to, uh, to deal with them. Um, but like I said before, this is, this is something that isn't just for sort of, uh, local it infrastructure or local data centers if you are cloud-based there is always that chance and there's always that risk that your systems as well would be affected Um, and in most cases if you haven't done a good cloud architecture uh, you may be more exposed than you know now what do i mean by good cloud architecture well things like having public and private uh, segments of your cloud you know do you have systems that are considered private are they internal with no direct internet access do they go through a NAT gateway for example to protect them and uh, are essentially isolated in their own subnet Um, and then you know do you have firewalls put in place not just At the internet facing levels but also even between your internal systems you know what's what's that kind of uh, kind of look like and do you have your systems up to date anything that's in the DMZ anything that has internet access is that fully patched and do you patch regularly and how do you patch and so on and so forth right so this is a global problem Um, again Regardless of what you have for a setup. This is as a security professional We are all responsible for making sure our systems are not susceptible and the better we can do that job the less likely it is that these types of infections will spread and also uh, less likely for them to become um, Profitable for these uh, criminal elements that want to use them um, To basically extort money from people Uh, this is high in the sky thinking there's always going to be threats, there's always going to be something, but if we can at least limit that, that uh, risk, then all the better. So what are some of the things that we can do about this? Um, well, we can do a couple of different things. We can educate, uh, we can educate our users, we can educate ourselves, we can keep up to date with what's going on uh, in the world. Uh, we can perform backups. Right. have system backups. Uh, if you have critical infrastructure, make sure that you have some type of backup for it, right? Back up the data, back up the actual system itself uh, by means of a golden image so that you have sort of this known state of a system that is good. Uh, and then you know, if there is additional configuration, look at configuration tools like, you know, the the DevOps tools that we looked at before, Chef and Puppet and uh, Ansible and SaltStack and all these others, right? Take a look at those tools. I don't care if you're on a Linux system or a Windows system, most of these tools will run on both, Puppet and Chef definitely. I think SaltStack works on both as well. I think Ansible is strictly a a Linux or Unix uh, tool. But if you can't have a golden image that has your systems uh, completely configured such that you can basically spin it up and get a replacement, then take a look at, uh, at some DevOps tools to help you with that fine tuning. Um, it will definitely uh, save you when, when things go, go awry. Um, we can block network traffic. Right, so, what do we mean by blocking network traffic? Firewalls, obviously. Anti-malware tools, uh, antivirus, IDSs, IPSs. Eh, um, sure. Just you know, if you remember our previous episode, we talked about uh, IDSs and IDS and IPS and IPS tend to have a higher um, a higher uh, false positive rate. So blocking with an IDS isn't really correct, but that kind of leads to the next point that we can do is monitor, right? But before we get into monitoring going back to blocking, if you have firewalls, have ingress and egress rules. Filter the stuff coming in and filter the stuff going out. Going out is a lot harder, right? Obviously, because we are unsure of what are the ports that I need to talk to. Well, take a look at the services running on the systems that you have the firewall rules on. What do they need to do, right? 99% of the time they need HTTP and HTTPS, and maybe one or two others, depending on if you have your own mail server, for example, internally, maybe you have your own DNS server internally. Okay, now we can start opening up a few other ports, right? But do the actual analysis, you know, set up Wireshark. Take a look, see what's what's flowing through your systems. Take a look, what's the outbound uh, connections like? Where, what are the ports that they're hitting? You know, do some due diligence, try to figure that out. This is a bit easier if you're in the cloud and you basically have dedicated systems and dedicated servers that you have almost complete control over things in a data center environment that can be a lot harder uh, in a corporate environment. Again, it can be a, a, a bit harder. Uh, you may also end up having users coming to complain to you saying, hey, I can't play my game anymore because the the traffic's not being allowed out. You know, so that's when you, you know, show them the acceptable use policy and say, well, sorry, but this is what we're gonna be doing. But, uh, but even then, even the egress um, blocking, let's be honest, malware is gonna be smart enough to start using traffic over HTTP, or they're gonna be tunneling back through HTTPS just to evade things like IDSs and IPSs to basically hide that traffic. Uh, HTTP for hiding from firewalls, HTTPS for hiding from uh, IDSs because the traffic will be encrypted and the IDS won't be able to actually see what's going on that leads again back to this monitoring step this is another thing that what we can do is we can monitor we can have for things we cannot block we can at least try to monitor what's going on that can be monitoring logs that can be monitoring network traffic through an ids or an ips um, that can be um, through just You know observations emails taking a look at threat intelligence uh, taking a look at blogs slack channels Twitter even you know monitor what's going on um, in the uh, in various security channels uh, and try to stay ahead of these things then the next thing we can do is react If there is some sort of outbreak, we have to be able to react. And what are the steps to reacting? Well, it's not running around like a chicken with your head cut off uh, and trying to figure out, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what's happening. This is, we break it down into the the standard sort of three steps for a reaction. You identify the threat, you isolate the threat, and you resolve the threat. Easier said than done. I think it was uh, Dave Kennedy. I was checking his Twitter feed when uh, Petya was uh, was spreading and he said he's not seen something Like this of this magnitude for quite a while uh, He assumed or I think he said that he saw 5,000 systems get compromised in the span of about 10 minutes. Now that's ridiculous. 5000 systems in 10 minutes. That's 500 systems a minute, right? That's more than a system a second. Um that is really hard to react to, right? So being able to identify and then try to isolate you know there's very little you can do the the fastest thing you could have done is basically identify that something has gone wrong and then isolate it but isolate it how basically turn off the switch turn off the router um you know prevent any inner process communication just basically tear the network down that's about the only way you would have been able to isolate that's that, that uh, infection rate and then uh, but then, how do you communicate with people how do you how do you get the get the word out because you've essentially disconnected them from what you uh what what the, what they need uh which is a communication mechanism so the isolation part can be tricky, especially for something that th- as as this as fast moving as this now the good news is not all malware spreads this fast this can be the exception to the rule um, and we, we you know we'll have to to you know take every infection in stride and try to figure out what's going on and then of course after if there is an infection after you've reacted and you eventually have resolved it then you have to do the notification you have to notify your customers you probably have uh, SLA agreements Uh, For a certain uptime, but you probably also have agreements to notify customers when something has happened uh, in terms of a um, Any sort of of malware infection now before you notify your customers Maybe you have to notify law enforcement if if you're in the United States notify the FBI if you're in Canada notify um, The RCMP if you are in Europe um, I Don't know who you are supposed to uh, contact. I do know that there are uh, there the European Union does have a um, main point of contact for uh, data breaches. Right. But again, you may need to notify the, the proper authorities for them to do further investigation. Uh, and obviously, the earlier you notify them, the better. Make sure you have your own legal counsel notified first, though, uh, because they can often uh, offer assistance. And don't be late if you feel that there's a need to uh, notify law enforcement. They tend to be a little... Uh, upset if you wait too long uh, Because there's a good chance that if it is some sort of criminal element, then they may be already covering their tracks Making the law enforcement job that much harder um, and then again notifying your customer This is where your own legal counsel will be able to help you uh, figure that out, right? So these are sort of the, the high-level things that we can do right so you know that, that we should be that we should be able to do um in terms of helping control malware and at least protecting our own systems against them right so some other best practices that we can do i mean so far every piece of malware that has come out could have been uh prevented if the systems were patched early and patched often for WannaCry for Petya, these were systems. They were targeting systems that had patches that were available for months. Um, now I understand it is often very hard to have systems fully patched. This is something that most people outside of IT don't fully grasp. Well, why is it so hard? Why can't you guys just have everything patched when it's when it's available? Well, quite simply, because there are systems that will break if they are patched. You know, sometimes the old adage, sometimes the cure uh, is worse than the disease uh, is very applicable when it comes to patches, especially if you've uh, maybe you have a subsystem that was built in house, uh, some sort of internal application that is depending on certain functionality that turned out to be a bug but as soon as you put in a patch that fixes that bug it breaks some critical application so it's difficult to say well you know just just patch well it's, it has to be tested it has to be tested you have to uh if the patch does break something then you need to assess the risk do you risk patching the system by breaking your application, or do you risk just not patching and saying, "Ah, eh, this is behind a firewall. We don't necessarily have to worry about it. You know, my personal stance on this is if there is a potential threat, spend the time to get the systems fixed, right? Fix the application that broke because of the patch. You know, that should be a priority, but you definitely you know you can't leave systems unpatched right the the most recent um, outbreaks have shown that this is uh, this is obviously not something that we can do yes there is additional cost involved with that. So my, my message to senior management is, what is more important to you? Spending some time to fix an application that you guys have internally, or having to explain to all your customers how your systems became infected because you didn't want to patch them? You know, what's more important to you? You know, what is the business impact? What is more costly to you? Uh, hiring a couple of developers for a few weeks to fix an application, or potentially losing millions of dollars in contracts because you've uh, broke a um, a contract because you, uh, or terms of a contract or terms of an SLA where you didn't take reasonable precautions in ensuring that your systems were adequately protected. You know, it's difficult to weigh but it's something that needs to be decided and and thought about, right? Now, in addition to that, the next uh, best practice that we can do is upgrade old systems, right? There's an awful lot of systems that are still running Windows XP out there. Um, And it's a disturbing stat. I mean, Windows XP has been end of life for some time now, and it has not had any Uh, significant security patches. There have been some emergency patches that Microsoft has made, but I mean, that's just bad, guys. Um, Again, it boils down to what's more important, spending some money to upgrade the systems or uh, having to explain to customers why their data uh, is at risk because you don't want to do the upgrades. You know if you can stick with a long-term support version of an operating system like for example uh ubuntu for linux they have long-term support uh versions come out every two years uh, and they tend to go on for about 10 years i think from seven or ten i can't remember the exact number of years for the uh security patches that they'll have for them but it's fairly long right uh, even Microsoft, they have probably a ridiculously long life cycle for their operating systems. Uh, and it's really a poor excuse to say, well, I don't want to upgrade. No one's telling you to upgrade every single time Microsoft comes out with a new version of Windows, but you should have a migration plan, right? And you should be able to try to migrate those systems. You know, there's, again, there's cost involved here, right? For example, uh, some studies that I was reading, uh, um, have determined that worldwide, uh, private corporations have spent about a billion dollars U S in 2016, paying out ransomware. Um, and you know, most of that ransomware could have been avoided with a few simple, uh, simple fixes. Um, education and updating systems right you know education is probably the biggest one um, and that would be you know one of the other things that we want to do is educate your users right so focusing on the hardware is and the systems themselves is one thing you know making sure that you've patched them making sure you're not running outdated versions that can't be patched but Let's be honest, you know, your users are probably the number one target, right? Social engineering is still one of the most popular ways for a hacker to get into your network. You want to train your users. You want to give them um, some sort of education, how to identify a... Uh, Suspicious email. What's a phishing scam? You know, what's a phishing campaign? What about spear phishing? You know, what about CEO fraud? That's another big one. uh, Where someone impersonating a person in power, making a request for a money transfer, um, and because it looks and sounds like the legitimate person, uh, either in email or over the phone, you know, it's... Well, it's tricky right people want to do what's what they think is right and they don't want to put a person in power um, Or someone who's higher in the food chain than them uh, To make them wait so they just end up doing it and then of course We find out that well what you do that for that wasn't me. That was somebody else scamming you. Oh Shoot, what can we do? The sad answer is not much you know once the transfer is done know you did it of your own volition the banks aren't really going to help you with that and that money is more or less lost right so again educating your users telling them when to open Email attachments. When to do those file transfers? You know, yeah. When not to do them? Or not file transfers? Sorry, money transfers. When not to do them? All these things. This is this is training that you want to do. Now, training in itself and the education of your of your end users uh, for security awareness. These are things that are. Um, you know, tend to be the bane of the existence of most security professionals, because most security professionals, we're introverts. We do not like talking to people. We do not like interacting with people. You know, Do you have a learning and development uh, group within your company? Maybe reach out to them, see if they can offer some assistance with that. But a couple of things I will say about uh, education. Um, don't don't please just do not think that doing uh, security awareness training once a year is sufficient. It's really not. You know, try to do something a little more frequently. You know, try to do it monthly if you can. Um, daily would be even better. Uh, if you have some sort of reinforcement training system that you can use, that can just you know gradually offer little little suggestions a little bit of feedback you know maybe not daily maybe at least weekly you know just to give them a a heads up maybe even something as simple as a little newsletter that you can send out to people you know do a monthly lunch and learn you know invite people in order some pizza say hey guys you know just wanted to show you you know this is why uh, we don't open email attachments and actually provide them a Example, uh, set up something uh, yourself if you can to showcase what can happen. If you open up an email attachment that is uh, uh, potentially malicious and show them how quickly something can happen. Oftentimes visualizing it and actually having it demonstrated for them will be probably one of the best ways to educate your users. So now. Going back, you know, we've talked about patching systems. We've talked about upgrading the old systems. We've talked about educating your users. We've spoken about uh, firewalls blocking what you don't need with ingress and egress uh, filtering. Um, and again, I think the big thing with uh, firewalls is don't forget the systems within your network, uh, the, the juicy, the soft middle. Uh, The piece that most people think, well, I'm hardened from the outside so I can relax my controls on the inside. You know, all what it takes is one system on the inside to get compromised. And then there's free reign all over the place. So you do want to even continue that hardening all the way through to the core. Don't just assume that your perimeter is secure and therefore you don't have to worry about the internals. No, you do. Right, you do. And then again, after you've blocked what you can, there's always gonna be something you can't block. And there's always gonna be ways that hackers are going to take to bypass some of those controls because you have to have some sort of, of communication with the outside world. And that's the, the channel, that's the mechanism that, that most malware is gonna be communicating out from or coming in on. Right, that that being HTTP, HTTPS, um, standard protocols. So monitor those things. You know, get your IDSs in place. Um, you know, even as simple as. Just having a logging system, some sort of log management system. Splunk is very common. Uh, that's usually the go-to for most people monitoring system logs. Uh, if you have the inclination, set up an Elk stack. That's Elasticsearch, uh, Logstash, and Kibana. Uh, Graylog is a nice alternative to Elk. Um, you know, take a look. If you've got some money in, in the budget, go out and get yourself a Sim right something that'll monitor the logs for you but it'll also generate alerts for you and are often better tuned for specific types of threat right uh whatever you do you know if you have some sort of monitoring and this is actually the the other really important part if you have logging and you have log monitoring pay attention to the damn thing don't be like uh certain large retail outlets in the past that have had all kinds of logging, but then ended up not paying attention to it before it was too late. You know, they had alarms, they had alerts when they themselves were hit and they didn't do anything because no one was paying attention. So you have to pay attention, right? And then when the inevitable happens, not if, but when the inevitable happens, you need to be ready. And what do you, what do you do to be ready? You need to have an incident response plan. You have to have a plan and you have to practice it, right? We can probably get into detail about what should be in an incident response plan. Um, I'll see if I can get ourselves a guest for this, for a future podcast episode, because I do think it's important. Um, But even if you have something simple Uh, Just to figure out the the whole identify isolate and resolve process if you can have that um, Then that would be great. You know, you can always call in a security professional Later, you know get yourself an outsourced firm a third-party firm to come in do some uh, computer forensics try to figure out what happened and how to uh, you know, what was the level of exposure and everything else, you know Do that that'll be great Um, if you're looking for help in terms of setting up an incident response plan SANS actually has a um, sort of guide for small and medium businesses for incident handling Um, and I'll provide a link for that in the show notes right and you know having some plans in place may help in terms of recovery right And sometimes part of your incident response plan is going to be triggering your disaster recovery plan, right? Because a massive malware infection is a type of disaster, but without a doubt. So, and with all of this, right, you need to have buy-in from senior management, you know, If you want to have your patching and your upgrading and your firewall blocking and your monitoring where you may need to uh, spend some more money in terms of getting additional software, or at least hardware to run even free software on, uh, the education of your end users, Your incident response plan, all of these things, all of these things require buy in from senior management. They need to understand their involvement in this. And oftentimes, the best advice I can give you when you're talking with senior management is, you know, put it in dollars and cents. If we do not do this, it can cost the company this. You know, give them hard numbers, it will make your discussion with them that much easier and you know be prepared your monitoring of your own internal systems will be great but if you don't know what you're looking for um it can be difficult so try to find some other sources for uh, figuring out what's going on in the world so for example Petya, when it came out and it hits. Uh, I actually found it from a found out from a colleague who had uh, heard from a family member uh, who was working at an organization that was hit, saying, "Hey, are you guys seeing any strange issues with your network? We might have been hit with some sort of virus." And he asked me if i was aware of anything and i said well no i wasn't and so i immediately went to the feeds that i normally monitor and there was nothing there yet but sure enough within five minutes all of a sudden things started uh things started popping up right so some good sources that you can monitor and i'll provide links to these guys for you guys uh, for you as well uh sans again has the internet storm center uh, Cisco has their Talos blog. Uh, Alien Vault has their Open Threat Exchange. There are other commercial offerings that you can have uh, that you can pay subscriptions to, but those are kind of the big, the big three that I tend to uh, lean on. And then, of course, Twitter. Um, oftentimes, if you are following a bunch of security professionals, all of a sudden those feeds are going to light up because these guys are going to jump on these things as quickly as they can to start identifying what's going on. Um, likewise, there's often Slack channels for various, um, security related websites as well, where people will start buzzing about what's going on there. IRC channels, if you're, if you're really old school and uh, know a couple of those, you can go there as well. Right. But obviously, you, you, not only do you want to monitor everything, but you need to know what you're looking for and When there is something that hits it's often great to make sure that you're aware that something is hitting uh, The systems so you can adjust your monitoring to look for specific threats It could be looking for a particular IP address that you're gonna be communi- That's your systems are communicating to it could be a particular port it could be a particular signature it could be something but there's a lot of really, really skilled people that are out there that are looking for uh, these types of threats, right? So malware, in short, is is a huge danger to all of us, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your organization is. Uh, it's bad. And oftentimes, once malware is released, especially for something like that's kind of worm-based, like Petya, the people behind that malware... They can't really control what's going on. They can start, they can say, we're going to put it here. But if it's really bad, uh, and if it's worm-like, they don't have any control over how it's going to spread. So... It's, it's herd immunization, right? The more we can immunize our systems by preventing infection like this, the better for everyone in general, because we can slow down the spread and we can, we can better control and, and protect ourselves, right? So, you know, the better job we do, the better for everyone, right? It's, it's a team effort here it's definitely not an individual well i'm just going to protect my own systems and you know i don't really care you know the better that we can protect everything the better for for all of us so anyway with that uh we'll finish off this episode of head in the cloud uh thank you for listening if you guys want to reach out to uh you know just chat or whatever else uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at John's not here. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com/slash/myheadinthecloud is the uh, fan page for the uh, for the podcast. Now uh, the website is MyHeadInThe.Cloud. You can find me on PeerList. Just look for my name. LinkedIn again. Uh, just look for, uh, look for my name there. And we're on the Gunna Geek podcast network. So definitely, if you're interested in any sort of geeky things, go on, take a look at uh, GunnaGeek.com and you can see the, uh, the other podcasts and whatnot. There'll be links for all of these in the show notes as well. So, yeah, let's uh, let's try to stay safe and, uh, you know, stay away from from any sort of nasty, uh, destructive malware out there. Uh, Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have yourselves a great week.